Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in. It is good to be here, and yeah, don't believe anything Glenn says about me. I've heard, I meet people and they say, oh yeah, I heard the story, and I go, no, no, that, you, you need to hear another side to the story, and so, uh, it's good, it's good to be here, it's good to see all of you, although I can't recognize anybody with your masks on, and, uh, but that's the world we're living in today. It's such a strange time. Uh, Things are so different. There's so many things that uh, to be concerned about. There's so many things that legitimately to to fear. So many things uh, that just are not the way they ought to be. And so for us, and I, I kind of want to address that this morning, is, well, how do, we, how do we live in the midst of all of this, in the midst of, of pandemic and, and death and, and social and political upheaval and, and, and polarization and uh, economic uncertainty and... Uh, it seems at least to me that like the world is like spinning out of control. And so how do we live the kind of life, the kind of kingdom life, the, the uh, people of his presence in the midst of all of that? And obviously that's a huge question. That's the whole big question. Many facets and, and many answers to that. But I want to just kind of zero in And just a couple of simple practices. I loved what Donna did this morning with Lectio Divina. So, oh, if I could only still my soul to practice that. There's these practices. Well, I want to look at a couple of practices that I really believe will can radically transform our lives and our experience of God. Matter of fact... I don't know of any other practice, any other practice in my experience that will uh, produce results as quickly and effectively as as one of these practices. And I, I know that's a huge claim for an old pastor like myself, you know, and but actually I'm going to talk about two interrelated and similar practices. I want to talk about thanksgiving and contentment. You know, a a frequent theme at the vineyard, I mean, we're always talking about God's presence. 
We teach it. We, we sing about it. We love God's presence. And, and we know that God is omnipresent. He's always present everywhere. But we also, and I think here in this crowd, we all know that there's times where God's presence is more manifest, more tangible, more experienced in certain times and certain places, more than others. And we've all experienced that. Maybe uh, those deep times of, of connecting with God's presence, oftentimes in a worship setting. But, but we want to experience his presence all the time, in the in-between times, in the, the everyday, ordinary, mundane busyness of our lives. Well, thanksgiving, the practice of thanksgiving, is a way that we cultivate that experience uh, more as a lifestyle than than an event. You know, for the Jews, the place of God's presence was the tabernacle, the temple. And, and in Psalm 100, the psalmist is referring to that, and he, and he wrote this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So he says, enter in to his presence with thanksgiving. You know, a grateful heart is like a welcome mat to the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. When we cultivate thankfulness in our heart through thanksgiving, when we focus our thoughts on the goodness of God and all the benefits that God has given to us in our life, then we cultivate an atmosphere that attracts the Holy Spirit, if you will. My wife calls it a landing strip for the Holy Spirit. Conversely, when we uh, get caught up with unthankfulness, when we give ourselves to complaining and resentment and grumbling about our circumstances, about people and things that are happening, then in a very real way, we are turning away from the presence of God. And we, we experience his presence less, or, or at least to a much lesser degree in our lives. But see, it's not about just worship. This is about talking about our whole lives, the quality of a kingdom life, the way that God intends us to live. So thanksgiving is an action. It, it, it flows out of a thankful heart, a heart that's full of thanks to God. But it is something that we do, and it's a key ingredient in this kind of life. You know, and I, I see it as this, as a tool. It's a powerful tool that kind of aligns our lives, aligns our thoughts and our emotions and our, uh, our will with God's intention for our life. And, and it is really a simple thing, and, but I, I think kind of overlooked. Thanksgiving is a choice, and it's a spiritual discipline. Like Lectio is a discipline. Thanksgiving is a discipline. And uh, the more we practice it, the more our lives are changed, are transformed. And that's, uh, 
there, our lives are more in line with the way that God wants us to live. And that's the nature of transformation, is that uh, the more we practice it, the more we're changed. The more we practice giving thanks in all circumstances, the more we rise above those circumstances uh, to live free. So, uh, and, and it's an exercise that, that actually I have found in my life that it produces almost immediate results. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He gives us three things to do and to do all of the time. And then he says something very powerful. He says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is how God intends you to live and experience him. Uh, and it is possible to live this way because Jesus died on a cross, rose again, and has given us a new kind of life to live. But each of these things are choices, and they're, but they're not easy choices. They're not even natural choices. But just like any kind of exercise that we do, any kind of discipline, the more you do it, the easier it gets. You know, the, the two-mile walk seems shorter the more often that you do it. The 100-pound the, the weight seems lighter the more you lift it. And, and it is easy for us to give thanks to God when everything is going well, right? I mean, that, that's simple. You know, I, I go through life, I give thanks for the parking space that I found close, you know. I give thanks for the, the green light instead of the red light. I give thanks for so many things. It's easy in those circumstances, but it's when life doesn't go the way we had hoped it to go that it becomes a challenge, okay? But the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. It more becomes part of our life, our lifestyle. And that's the nature of transformation in Christ, is that God gives us these disciplines, these practices, to make it very practical for us to live his kind of life. That's what God's will for us is in Christ Jesus, he says. He wants us to live a life free, a whole free life, and not to be held captive by other people or by circumstances or any other thing. But the scripture here reads, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. And that's an, a very important distinction between the two. You know, I don't need to be thankful for evil, but I can be thankful in the midst of evil. We live in a, a, a fallen world, a world that is full of evil, and it, it is broken on just like every level, okay? Everywhere we look, the world in which we live is broken. And sometimes our circumstances are a result of that brokenness. So I can be thankful in the midst 
of those circumstances, regardless of what their source is. See, that's the freedom. That's this incredible freedom that we've been given as Christians to live free from the tyranny of our circumstances. See, they don't control us. You know, it can always be worse, right? I I love the story of of, uh, Matthew Henry, the famous commentator. He said, you know, one time his, his wallet was stolen. And he says, he said, I will be thankful. Number one, he says, because I, I, my wallet was never stolen before. Number two, though they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Number three, though they ta- took my all, it wasn't very much. And number four, he says, uh, that, he says that I was robbed and not I who robbed. (laughs) You know, there's always something to be thankful for if we focus, again, on the goodness of God in, in our lives. You know, sometimes our circumstances are the result of bad choices that we have made. So I don't have to be thankful for the bad choices that I've made, but I can be thankful for the forgiveness that I've received. I can be thankful for the lesson that I've learned. I can be thankful for the opportunity to get it right the next time in Christ. See? One of the great stories about thankfulness is found in Luke's gospel. This is about uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's found in Luke 17, 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border with Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, in order for a leper at that time to be pronounced clean and to be kind of re-enter into society, they, that would had to be determined by the priest. And so all 10 went, obviously believing something that they couldn't see, or, or at least just believing it was probably a good thing to do what Jesus told them to do. And all of them were healed, not immediately, but on the way they were healed. Okay. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. All ten were healed, but only one came back to thank Jesus and to worship him. Verse 17, Jesus asked, Where were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus asks a key question. Where are the other nine? Why didn't they come back and give when, when they realize that they were healed and come and, and give me thanks. Well, 
The Bible never tells us what happens to the other nine. I mean, we can speculate, which I will do. Uh, where were the other nine? You know, Jesus made it clear from the question that, that he believed that it was appropriate that they would have all come back and given him thanks. Well, maybe we have a clue in the story. It says that the one who came back and gave thanks was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans <clears throat> were viewed by the Jews as half-breeds. They were looked down upon. They were despised. The Jews would have nothing to do with the Samaritans because they felt that they were inferior to them. So maybe, maybe this lowly Samaritan um, being a social, I mean, a spiritual outcast because he's a Samaritan and then being a social outcast because of his leprosy, maybe he, more than the rest of them, felt that he didn't deserve to be healed by this Jewish healer. Maybe that was the key to his thankfulness, that he had no expectation that he deserved it. You know, we live in a world of entitlement. You know, everybody feels that they're entitled. Everybody in our culture, everybody feels like they're entitled to the good life. You know, and that means different things to different people, obviously. But, it, but it, generally, it's viewed as like this inalienable inalienable right to the good life. You know, sometimes it seems like everybody feels like they're entitled to the fairy tale life, you know, or at least fairy tale endings. The prince should come and rescue you, you know, and live happily ever after. And when things don't go the way that we hoped they go, we often are, uh, feel cheated. Like somehow that wasn't right, that, that we deserved more, and oftentimes people give more to complaining than to thankfulness. You know, you can see the mentality easily because of the shock and how surprised we are and, and sometimes upset when things go wrong in our lives. You know, we get sick. People go, well, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Or, you know, tragedy strikes. And we go, God, why did you do this to me? But, uh, you know, it'd be a really rare thing if we had the same kind of shock and confusion when things went really well for us. Where we go, God, why did you allow this good to happen to me? You know, because there, there's a certain sense that, well, of course, it should happen this way. I, I deserve it. And if not, it seems unfair. You know, maybe the other nine, I don't know, maybe the other nine didn't think that they had leprosy at all and they just got better on the way. You know, there's the old story of the guy working on the roof and he starts to slide down. He goes, oh God, help, save me and I, I will serve you all the days of my life. Just then his, his pant gets stuck on a nail. And he goes, oh God, forget it. I guess I didn't need you anyway. Perhaps, and, and I think this is really a, 
quite common. It's maybe just the nine got so caught up in this blessing, this incredible thing that had just happened in their life, so excited about it that they just kind of forgot to come back and give thanks to the source of what happened in their life. You know, one of the things that really affects our our thankfulness is our level of contentment. The Apostle Paul said he was content. This is what he said of himself in Philippians 4. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, all of us are continually bombarded with ads and commercials on TV, on, on, on our devices, uh, billboards along the road as we drive. You know, AI knows all of our desires and wants and continually telling us what we don't have, right? And what we need. But no matter what we have, somebody has more. Somebody has bigger and better and more bells and whistles, you know. Somebody all, always has better toys, uh, better looks, and more friends, you know. Contentment, in the biblical sense, is being satisfied, being at peace with our circumstances as they are. It's living independent of these external uh, circumstances and discovering our resources that are found in God himself. But see, contentment, as Paul's talking about, has to be learned. Just like Paul had to learn it, we have to learn it. Twice he says that. He says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Then he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. See, it doesn't come natural. It's, it's actually counterintuitive and kind of rare. It's a skill that we develop in our lives. See, now, if I ask you, are you content in your life right now? Probably most of you'd say, well, well, yeah, I'm content, but I could use a little more. You know, a little bigger salary, a little easier job, a little more reliable car, a little bigger apartments, a little, you know, there was some secular research done years ago that was talking about happiness. And it said that most people, regardless of their income level, felt to be truly happy, they would need just a little bit more, like maybe 20% more, you know. But you see, and, and that isn't just about stuff. We know that. It's about 
life. It's about relationships. It's about uh, success, achievements. It's about all of these things in our lives. If we just had a little bit more, a little easier job, a little better boss, you know. But see, contentment is never achieved. It's a learned behavior. That's what Paul is saying. I've learned it. I've learned to be content. See, contentment is, is learned by saying to God, Lord, I, I accept this portion in life that you have given to me. I accept the boundaries that you have laid out for me to live in. See, what God has given you is different than what God has given somebody else. We've all been given different talents and different abilities, different genetics, different attractiveness, uh, uh, different strengths, different callings. But to learn contentment is to learn to live within what God has given you rather than this longing always for the, the bit more that we really need. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't try to improve our circumstances if we can. You know, uh, contentment doesn't mean that we, um, you know, that... Uh, that we were to be a doormat or we, that we're to live in some kind of unjust situation or we're to accept poverty or, or, or any of those things. See, if you can change your circumstances for the better and still be obedient to God and uh, keep your priorities right, then by all means do it. But the truth is, none of those things will bring you contentment and peace in the end. And beyond that, I mean, there's so many things in life that are just beyond our ability to control. And there's a lot of things in life that to con- the only way to change them would to be to be disobedient to God or to rearrange our priorities in a way that's going the wrong direction. So how do you know if you're discontent? Well, the greatest indicator of our discontent is our complaining. (laughs) You know that you're discontent if you have this inner kind of grudge about life that somehow you know, what you've been dealt just isn't fair. The, the hand that has been dealt to you uh, by life and by extension God just isn't what it should be. So, so we complain. You know, we complain about maybe our husband, our wife, school, our boss, uh, our job, our apartment, See, so that complaining is one of the biggest indicators that we haven't settled this. We haven't really learned this well. And generally, at least in my opinion, I don't think we as Christians have quite caught the seriousness of that sin. I mean, 
What's the big deal anyway? I mean, Jude 4 is, it speaks about ungodly men who, who it says, um, who live contrary to the nature of God. Well, their sin, their biggest sin was complaining. The biggest sin of the children of Israel in, in, in the desert was that they were complained against God. They complained about, about the manna. You know, manna cereal, manna tacos, manna everyday manna. It was that complaint. And I, I don't, sometimes we don't realize that when we're complaining about the boss or our husband or wife or our circumstances, that it's actually in many ways just an accusation against God, that a, a challenge of his goodness in our life. And it, 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 it's, a, it's a life robber <laughs> of that experience of God with us as we, we did in our meditation today. You know, a few years ago, we, we decided, first as a small group, but then as a whole church, we decided that we would declare a fast. It was November, near Thanksgiving, we'd declare a fast from complaining. And we thought, well, you know, that's going to be a challenge, but, you know, certainly doable. And once we began to do it, I mean, we, get, we realized that this was a huge challenge. Because once we started paying attention to how often we complain about things, from little petty things to big things, we, it revealed our hearts the way we were living. You know, but as, as, serious, as serious as this sin of complaining is, there's, there's actually something that's even more kind of robbing our life and that's resentment, this deep-seated uh, disappointment with the way that our lives have gone. It's the feeling that our, our story should be different than it actually is. That somehow we are shortchanged, maybe. And that has to do with our past, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly of our past. But you see, our life story is more than the good stuff. We know that. Our story is this blend of all of the stuff that makes, that makes our story what it is. And what's brought us to this point. See, and thankfulness embraces our whole story, not just the good stuff, the whole story. Now, you, you might be thinking, wait a minute, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened in my life. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, I have been treated bad. I have been abused. I've been betrayed. You know, my marriage failed. I failed, my parents failed me. I failed my kids. Are we supposed to be thankful for all of that stuff? Well, in one sense, yeah. 
because it's it's the our whole life that all woven together how God has redeemed all of that and made us who we are that is our story it's shaped who we are now we have a new identity in Christ but each of us has a unique story the bad things that happened to you though not directly from God God has used to make you a person that can relate to the sufferings of others. Made you averse to doing the bad things that have been done to you to do to, that you would not do to others. Has made, has made you, has uh, taught you how to forgive. And the bad things that you have done have made you appreciate the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of others. You know, when, when, when we with thanksgiving embrace the times when somehow we got passed over and others got promoted or, or, or blessed and we didn't, we see those as opportunities, opportunities for God to shape our character. To make us more like him. We live in a malcontent culture. It's everywhere. It's the water in which we swim. We complain about the weather. We complain about the government. We complain about our jobs, our boss, our spouses. Uh, it's, again, it's, it's everywhere around us wanting to mold us. <laughs> There's not a lot of older people here today, but I can tell you, I get together with old people and we complain about our aches and pains. It's really sad and pathetic, actually. <laughs> or, yes. And complaining is infectious. It infects other people around us. It, it can change the whole atmosphere. It can change the atmosphere in a home, in, a, in an office, even in a church. And it will negatively affect our soul deep within us. Which brings us to the end of the leper story. See, this lowly, thankful Samaritan found a much greater blessing than than just his physical healing, which was just incredible for him. See, all the lepers got that. But this one, who came back to give thanks to Christ, Jesus pronounced him whole. That word could mean saved. But it wasn't, the point of that was not saved like, He's going to go to heaven. He was pronounced whole, a deep wholeness in his soul that he found in living in thankfulness to Christ. That's God's will for our lives, that that's where we would live. It's a choice. But the Apostle Paul says here, that's only found in Christ. 
You can only live this way with that kind of thankfulness by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's just beyond us in the natural. But it is available. It's available. It's the thing that we want, the way we want to live. And God has made that available to us. And for that, (laughs) the fact that it's available, we can be thankful. And so that's the invitation. That's the invitation to you, to me, today, every day when we wake up is, do we want to choose thankfulness, thanksgiving, Do we want to choose life? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit casketvineyard.org slash give. We'll see you next week.